how real is worship for you? Are you conscious of the amazing, glorious truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? How he who left the glory of heaven took flesh and lived as a servant on, on the path to sacrifice on the cross, how he who when all seemed dark and hopeless, rose triumphantly from the tomb. After his ascension, the Holy Spirit was was poured out. The gospel was preached. The call to repent and believe proclaimed. This was a life-transforming message. And thousands were added on to the church. What excitement! Even the arrest of Peter and John and the threats which were made against them had led to heartfelt, united prayer which was quickly answered. Chapter 4, verse 31, we read, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. It was an amazing, exciting time to be part of the church. Worship was very real. For most of those people. But not, as we shall see, uh, for all of them. First of all, let us see unity in worship. The fruit of the Spirit is seen. Verse 32 And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. And neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. The foundation of this fellowship was their faith, their their mutual faith, their personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had heard the call to repentance and faith. They had believed and now they were united together. They knew the joy of sins forgiven, of a a right relationship with God and close fellowship with their fellow believers. This was a living experience of Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. This was an expression of selfless love. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that you have love one for another. We are to love one another, even as Christ has loved us. 
His love is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The wonder of selfless love. An evident testimony to those around us. When this expression of selfless love is seen in the community of the saints, it is a powerful witness of the saving, transforming power of the Lord. There is a tendency to think of the Old Testament as being harsh and legalistic. That is wrong. Love in the community of God's people is a principle from even the Holiness Code in Leviticus. You can read there in Leviticus chapter 19 at verse 17 these words. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. The community of God's people was to be one of mutual love and support. These verses in Acts have been at times greatly abused. Some have taken them and sought to justify communism. If everyone shares their possessions, there will be no poor, it is said. That sounds good. The only problem is that we are all sinners. Every time it has been tried, it has made most people equally poor and required threats of violence to enforce it. Read these verses carefully and you will see chapter 5 verse 4 Whilst it remained was it not thine own and after it was sold was it not in thine own power? This was private property given voluntarily out of selfless love. Listen to the Apostles' teaching on giving. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. There is to be no room for compulsion in giving, in an outpouring of love, those who were in need, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
were eagerly helped by those who had been blessed. This is loving your neighbor as yourself. Treating them as part even of your own body. As part of the one body. The body of Christ. Verse 33 we read, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It is clear that these events dealing with those in need in the community were not a distraction to the main work of the church. We are here to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. We are here as his witnesses. We must never lose sight of this. Doing good to all men, especially those of the household of faith, is important. But the proclamation of the gospel is always essential. Verses 34 to 35 relate the ongoing nature of what was happening. As need was seen, it was met by someone selling and giving. This was done in an orderly manner. The the apostles had a responsibility for the oversight and administration of these funds. Later, this responsibility was delegated to deacons so that the apostles could devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. The good must not be allowed to shift the emphasis from the essential. Verses 36 to 37 we are given one example of Christian love in action. This man, Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, he would go on to introduce Paul to the church in Jerusalem. He would go with Paul on his first missionary journey and give Mark a further opportunity to serve after Paul dismissed him from his mission. We are to follow Barnabas as he followed Christ. Our motive is to be loved for our Lord in response to what he has done for us. Freely you have received, freely give. Barnabas sold. Barnabas gave. Laid it at the apostles' feet. He saw that need. He was moved with compassion. Compassion. 
and he did what he could. And we see here the fruit of the Spirit, which you can read of in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit was very evident in the early days of the book of Acts. The church in these early chapters of Acts was an exciting place to be. The Holy Spirit was at work. The gospel was being preached. Love was selflessly expressed. There was a real sense of unity and worship. This must have seemed almost perfect. Even that attempt of Satan to silence the apostles by threats had failed miserably because so many in the wider community were excited by the miracles. What could go wrong in such a situation? Satan, however, was not finished with his opposition. And so, we've seen unity and worship. Secondly, in chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, we see pretending in worship. The work of Satan revealed. After reading about Barnabas, we come to this word, but there is a complete contrast. In general, there was great unity of faith and sincerity in their worship, in their fellowship, in their giving to meet needs. However, there was also Ananias and Sapphira. This couple, verse 1, they sold. Verse 2, they laid at the apostles' feet, just like Barnabas had, but with one difference. Ananias kept back part of the price. Kept back part of the price. His wife being privy to it. It is clear uh, that giving was voluntary. They were not required to sell. They were not required to give it all. The problem, though, is that they were creating the impression that they were giving all. Peter's words were very strong. Verse 3, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep part and to keep back part of the price of the land? They saw giving not as a selfless act of love, but as an opportunity 
to impress the members of the community. In the local church, each of us faces the danger that worship becomes about me. How I am seen, how I can impress, how other people view me, how I can perhaps have the best of both worlds, popular in church, and enjoy all the things that this world offers. This is especially true when there is a lot of excitement about when many are hearing the word of God faithfully preached and responding in repentance and faith. That is what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. They had seen Barnabas sell and give. They decided to do the same, but with this one small difference. They would pretend to give all whilst keeping back part uh, for themselves. Perhaps to them it seemed like a win-win situation. Everyone would be happy. Some needs would be met. The church would be impressed. They would get the credit and they could enjoy some of the proceeds themselves privately. They had, however, forgotten one important detail. The church is not mine. It's not about me. It is not here to meet my needs. The church belongs to the Lord. We are here for His glory. His glory. Satan had attacked the church by way of the authorities and their threats. That that was an external attack. But it only resulted in unity of prayer and boldness of preaching of the resurrection of Christ. Now, Satan seeks to break up the harmony of the church on the inside by infiltrating impure motives. Ananias and Sapphira had planned this deception. They had discussed it and agreed upon what they would do and the words they would use. They had forgotten that the Lord looketh upon the heart. Their plan was of Satan. Just as Satan had spoke to Eve and deceived her in the garden, Peter went on to say, Verse 4, Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? The plan was of Satan, but they were responsible. They had allowed Satan to enter in. Their pride, their love for the money, 
exceeded their love for the Lord, we tend to minimize sin. We look at other people. They may have thought that their sin was not really going to affect anyone. Perhaps they thought we are giving generously. People will be helped. But their motive was not pure. Their motive was selfish, self-centered. It was about me, not the glory of the Lord. They lied, not just to men, but to the Holy Spirit. They lied unto God. Think about it. Their lie only mattered because they are God's creatures. Because we live in God's world and He makes the rules. Right and wrong are defined by our Creator. We are answerable to Him. We have got to stop seeing ourselves as being of at least equal importance with God. We have to know that we are but creatures. We are made in the image of God. We are answerable to God for our lives in God's world. Adam rebelled and sinned in eating of the forbidden fruit. He did it his way. He brought death, judgment upon us all. The next verses are very sobering. For from verse 5 onwards, we see two miracles of judgment. Verse 5 says, And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. Similar thing happened in verse 10 with his wife, Sapphira. She hadn't known what had happened with her husband. She confirmed the facts. Or rather, she confirmed the lie. She stood by that deception. Both of them were judged of God. And that judgment was instant. Remember, this is God's world. 
Judgment is not normally so instant. But just because judgment is often delayed does not mean it will never come. Then thinking about this passage, this incident in the early days of the New Testament church, we can see a parallel back in Leviticus when the tabernacle was first established. Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 to 3 we read about Nadab and Abihu. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, then put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. The people had been delivered from Egypt. They had been set free. Worship was being established according to the plan of God with the tabernacle. Worship was to be holy and in accordance with what had been revealed. But Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, did it their way. They offered strange fire before the Lord. They thought it would be good enough, but it wasn't. God acted to keep worship pure. Aaron was told even that they must not be mourned. It's a solemn thing to think about the holiness of God. It's a solemn thing to think about the judgment of the Lord. When the nation of Israel entered into the promised land with that new generation, they were blessed with the great victory at Jericho. But that victory was marred by one who was greedy for himself. Joshua chapter 7 verse 21 we read of Achan we read in verse 21 
his explanation of what he had done. If you remember, they were told, they were warned not to take of any of the goods of Jericho for themselves. Nothing. It was all to be left. The silver and the gold were to belong unto the Lord. Everything else was to be left. But here, this man says, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Judgment came swiftly on Achan. The Lord was preserving the purity of worship amongst his people. Even amongst the twelve disciples, there was one who betrayed, and not even with a kiss. Judas Iscariot valued silver more than Christ. He brought a terrible end upon himself. God would have his people be pure. You were either trusting in Christ and his shed blood and glorious resurrection, or you are living your life for your own glory. We are to be aware of our adversary, Satan, who seeks to deceive. Resist him, and he will flee. Fix your eyes upon the good shepherd. Hear his voice and follow him. Note carefully that the church did not execute judgment. This was the Lord's work. This was a miracle at a time of miracles. It is sobering to remember that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Thirdly, we must note that reverence in worship resulted. The actions of Ananias and Sapphira were evil. They were corrupting the pure worship of the church at a time of great blessing and unity in the Lord. But consequent 
upon that judgment that came upon them. We read verse 11 of chapter 5. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. There was a deep awareness that following Jesus is no light or trivial matter. Our God is holy. He is jealous. Remember the words of that example prayer that our Lord taught us. Hallowed be thy name. The church is not about you and your needs. It is about the glory of God. Sin is serious. It brought the eternal Son down from glory. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. Now he is exalted. Will you bow and confess today that Jesus Christ is Lord? Or do you prefer to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season and wait for the day of judgment when you will be made to bow before your judge? Being a Christian is a serious matter. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 If any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his fathers, and of the holy angels. Christian brothers and sisters, we are members of the body of Christ. He is our head. Our eyes should be fixed upon him. Let us cry out for grace and mercy to help in time of need to seek more faith 
more holiness from him. We do not stand before him because of anything that we have done. We stand before him forgiven because of the righteousness of Christ because he lived his life without sin because he fulfilled the law perfectly. He took our sin upon himself and his righteousness is now applied to us clothed now with pure garments. If you are concerned about your own motives and sin, then I would urge you to confess your sin unto the Lord. Acknowledge your guilt and call out to him for mercy. May you indeed hear the great truth that the Apostle said to the jailer at Philippi. These great words of comfort. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved.